You're listening to a Wheels on the Ground production. Hey there, Disability After Dark listeners, Andrew here. I want to tell you all about a really awesome deal that I got from my friends and new sponsors, Adam and Eve, the number one adult toy superstore. They reached out to me and they said, Andrew, we love Disability After Dark. We love your show. We love what you're doing. And we were wondering if you wanted to run some ads for us. And I was like, fuck yes, I do. But what are my awesome listeners going to get? If I run ads for you, what are they going to get out of this? And they came back with a really fantastic deal that I want to share with you right now. I hope you're getting comfy, cozy, and crippled because this deal is pretty great. If you go to AdamEve.com, you can pick out almost any item in the store, almost any one item in the store, for 50% off. That means you can get one dildo, one lube, and one thing of lingerie if you want for 50% off. And then, once you get that one item for half price, they throw in even more free stuff. Let me tell you all about it. Okay, so you got your one item at half price in your bag and you're ready to go, but guess what? This offer also includes 10 free items on top of that that other item so you get one free item for penis havers one free item for vulva havers one free item for couples and then you also get six free movies from the adameve.com website you can get your favorite porn or an educational film i love free movies they're so awesome this is such a great deal and then on top of that you also get free shipping. What could be better? This is such a great offer. So to redeem this great offer, what you're going to do is you're going to go to adameve.com. You're going to go to checkout and you're going to type in darkpod. That's D-A-R-K-P-O-D at checkout. And you're going to get one item, almost anything in the store at 50% off. And then you're going to get those 10 free gifts, absolutely free, as part of your offer. This is such a great deal, and this is just for you, Disability After Dark listeners, and I hope you run over to adameve.com and take advantage of it right now. This episode of Disability After Dark has been brought to you by Come As You Are. Come As You Are is Canada's only worker-owned co-op sex shop. Trans-owned and operated, Come As You Are carefully reviews and curates their selection of sex toys, books, and DVDs. Now you can get 15% off your next purchase at comeasyouare.com using coupon code AFTERDARK. Content warning. The language, content, and discussion found within this episode of Disability After Dark will be explicit. Listener discretion advised. You're listening to Disability After Dark. The podcast shining a bright light on disability stories with your host, disability awareness consultant, Drew Gerza. Hello, hello, friends. Welcome to the show, friends. Thank you so much for clicking on this brand new episode of Disability After Dark, the podcast shining a bright light on disability stories. I am, of course, your amazingly delectable host, Andrew Gerza. Let's get comfy, cozy, and crippled and get this show started, everybody. 
I have a cool little personal update that I want to share with you before we go into the show. I want to let you know that I have started a Calendly uh, link to, which I put in the show notes for the episode today. If you want to be a, be a guest, you can just click on that and pick and choose a time that works for you, and then you can book a show with us. I am notoriously the worst at scheduling to get the guests to come in and I'm I'm the one that runs all this I am notoriously so bad at it I have to reschedule a bunch of times because of disability stuff I am just awful and so this way at least I can schedule things and have people schedule things that work for them and we can go from there and just in the last like four or five days of me having it a whole bunch of you have signed up to be guests on the show so that's super exciting it's in the show notes. It'll be in the show notes every single week. It's in the show notes for this episode. If you want to sign up, click there, pick a time, answer the corresponding questions so we can build a proper episode around you. And I'd love to have you as a guest, even if you are not disabled or you don't think of yourself as disabled. I would love to have you as a guest in the show to shine a bright light on all things disability with you or have you ask questions or have you you know, do something fun with me around disability that you maybe hadn't considered before. So just wanted to give that shout out that I am going to try to do more and more things to make scheduling easier so we can get more people on the show. And again, that ad, that little ad there was totally not sponsored. I just love this new self-scheduling thing. And I think if you're disabled and have trouble with um, processing stuff and trouble with kind of like paying attention and following through, which is one of my big triggers. This Calendly thing allows the schedule to already happen and you can set it up so your email's already in there. You can just have it go right into your Google Calendar and it's a really amazing thing and I'm so excited to bring this to the Disability After Dark show so we can have more of you on the show. But now let's get to my favorite part of the show where I thank the awesome Patreons for their support. If you're a Patreon supporter of Disability After Dark, you didn't get to hear all the cool ads from Come As You Are and from Adam and Eve, and you didn't get to hear any of that because you support the show. So if you support the show, you get a completely ad-free version of the show, along with a weird sexy shout out for me and you can support the show by going to patreon.com slash disability after dark and today's person that i'm supporting is my new friend massimo orsini and my sexy awkward shout out is massimo you make me go oh thank you so much for pledging i was trying to make it dirty and sexy but it didn't work massimo thank you actually massimo reached out to me afterwards and said I'm totally, um, I love your show and I'm gonna, I want to be your friend. And he actually lives only a couple hours away from me. So we started FaceTiming and chatting and it was cool all because of the show. So I want to let you know that if you become a Patreon, you can even become my friend. Ah, All right. But if you want to support the Patreon, patreon.com slash disabilityafterdark. And you can pledge as little as $1 a month or as much as $5 a month or more. And Massimo pledged $15 a year because the yearly amount works for him. And so you can also do a yearly amount 
if that works for you and your budget. Or if you can't pledge financially, you can just leave a review or tell your friends about the show and spread the word because the show is my baby and I'm really, really proud of it. But now let's get to the actual show right now. On the show today, I sit down with someone that I fell in love with the minute we started talking. I was like, this person's really cool. And they reached out to me back in January, and that's when we recorded this episode. And they said, I want to come on your show, and I want to talk about being a Mumbai, India-based occupational therapist. And I want to talk about what it means to be an, an occupational therapist in Mumbai, and kind of my experience being a disabled occupational therapist and somebody with multiple disabilities and chronic illnesses and I want to talk about about living in Mumbai and, and running an OT practice and the differences between occupational therapy in India and versus North America and so we have that conversation with my new friend Dr. Sakshi Tiku who is really really cool and really really awesome and we had such a fun conversation discussing the similarities and differences of occupational therapy in Mumbai versus occupational therapy in North America. Um, we talk about her experiences being a sick child and how that informed why she wants to do OT. We talk about how she understands independence in India versus how independence is understood in, say, North America and how that informs her practice. And we talk about so much more, plus, of course, sex, love, and disability we talk about as well. So much to unpack here. Really, really cool to learn about the ways disability and occupational therapy is understood in different parts of the world. Really, really awesome and really, really proud to do that. She also mentions that her parents really don't like the word disability or disabled too much, which makes the whole conversation kind of funny because the whole show is about disability and, and her experience with that. So it was a really fun one and I enjoyed sitting down with her and it was really, really cool to learn some things about about disability and independence and OT-ness in other parts of the world. So I hope you enjoy it and you enjoy the chat with my sit down with Dr. Sakshi Tiku on Disability After Dark right now. Dr. Sakshi Tiku, hello. Hi, Emma. That was absolutely Hi. <laughs> I was so worried that I was going to say it wrong. How are you today? I'm doing great. I am excited, absolutely ecstatic to be here and to connect I love, with you. Finally, finally. I love, I love that we're finally doing this. It's so <laughs> awesome. Um and I also love that you're an OT and it's just so cool to, to, I love sitting down with occupational therapists talking about this stuff because it very rarely happens. Right. I, I think the first time that I heard uh, the episode of with an occupational therapist, I was like, that's bang on. This is amazing. I'm having so much fun. And so I was like, yeah, there hasn't been an occupational therapist in a very long time. And um I think there was a lot of, uh, I got a lot of recommendations around the same time when when I had written a post on DDSM um, and Kink. And I think everybody, everybody from the OT community kept telling me, you need to speak to Andrew. You need to be on that podcast. 
and and that was the same day that was the same day that you had texted me on instagram saying would you want to be on a podcast and i was like wow the universe <laughs> oh that's so great like no when you, and the one you heard that we the one you heard that we did i think that was for the handicast with our friend i think anita um brown major from yeah. australia yeah yeah she was the yeah. first that she was the first ot in all the years of me doing this that i've had on the show <laughs> talking about sex and disability so like we we loved having her on and i just thought when you said i also do ot i was like oh great there's a whole other angle um and <laughs> i love i i am so i have so many questions for you but before we jump into that can you introduce yourself to the audience tell us a little bit about who you are what you do and then we'll start uh all right absolutely uh in a nutshell um i hello everyone i am dr sakshi pitku my pronouns are she her hers i am an occupational therapist and a personal counselor based in mumbai india i am a new grad practitioner actually i am 23 years old i graduated ab- about last year uh, feb- actually last last year which is somewhere in february 2019 and since then i have been practicing in a variety and a diverse settings which include from school based daily health home health care and everything in between at the moment um i serve clients and i work with clients of age group 3 years and above neurodiverse neurodivergent people with disabilities queer community everyone basically and every person who i can talk sexuality with and mental health with <laughs> There's, <laughs> there's so many layers there that we could already unpack. You and you said you're only like 23? Yes, I am. That's fun, uh, right? I always I always want to mention that. <laughs> that makes me feel so old. That makes me feel so much older than you. Uh but wow, it's like it's such for it's I just remember OTs when I was a kid being so much older, being like older cis white guys or older cis white ladies so to hear that there are young people wanting to get into occupational therapy that's really cool can you kind of share how how you how you got in how you got interested in in being an OT like what was the catalyst for why you wanted to do that actually nothing i always call myself as an accidental OT because um the ed- <laughs> the education system in india for pursuing healthcare is quite different from what we see in america we do not choose the university or the profession here when it comes to healthcare so it's a common entrance exam that we give and based upon the score it qualifies us to apply for certain fields of healthcare now i i know ne- i love genitals i was like yes let's do this but <laughs> but but i was like no i can't be an obgyn because i need to sleep at night So, so I decided that anything that keeps me close to the rehabilitation team I would be happy to be a part of it and then I got selected for a coursework uh in occupational therapy and I was like yeah let's do that it's great something new something unique uh, a a word that somebody pe- most people can't pronounce I'm like yeah that's that's the thing that's perfectly that's perfectly yeah. <laughs> so, so let's get done with it and I think and that's that's really cool that through sexuality through understanding the study of sexuality and my love for understanding psychology behind the sexuality i think that is how i understood what the true what actually occupational therapy means and what ot actually taught me so it's been 
it's been the other way around. OT found me rather than me. Finding wow. Me. I mean, that's, that's such a, so, so just so I understand the difference between like India and America in, in that, in that sense, like you didn't pick this. They literally said, this is what, this is what the scores are telling us. You should go this way. And you were like, all right, sure. Yeah, absolutely. That's exactly what it is. <laughs> it's such a weird way to pick your like to pick your to pick like you're calling it life. Oh, the numbers like it's it's it sounds so silly because in America in like the in in the in like North America we would say do what makes your heart feel happy like go this way don't worry about the numbers just do what you want to do and like the numbers told you to do to be an OT. Did you know anything about occupational therapy before you, before you started doing like what, So when you jumped in, Nothing. were you like, all right, this is what I want to do? Or were you like, was there apprehension about it? Nothing. Actually, the first year is actually fascinating, you know, when it, it was, it was my passion to work and understand the human body. That has been my passion. It's been my passion to serve people in the best way possible. I have had, as since a young child of, and throughout the years, I've always been labeled as a sick child because I used to fall sick so often. Um, I and it, it would have been because of the most trivialest of reasons, but my immune system was that way, right? So I missed out on so many things. And then I saw my there was you know there's this there's this expectation as a kid that you see and you want to learn and you want to know more and. Whenever yeah. those doctors used to have some kind of clowns, I'd be like, oh, this is so fascinating. They're talking about me. They're presenting <laughs> it in such a professional way. And, and I was like, you know, there are certain, I'm like, you do not talk about this. I'm feeling this kind of way. So maybe it's okay if we haven't addressed some certain part in the way that I feel left out. I might be missing school. I may not have the greatest friends in the whole world. I may not, because that's the time, right? You are in school, you're in college, you want to have friends. You want to be a part of the whole of course. So I think I was missing out on all of these things, but they were both, they were both kind of feelings there happening over there. So I was like that, that drive um, in retrospect, that was the drive that I need to be better than what I saw. Some people were inspirational, but some people were pathetic and I need to combine the both things and make the best out of it, not be pathetic, be as empathetic as I can be and be as awesome as I can be at the same time. So your experiences of childhood illness and like being ill as a kid, would, would you classify yourself as somebody with a disability? I do. I do. With I, There's like my, my parents hate the word FII. My parents hate the word disability. They never so they're gonna love. They're going to love my podcast so much. <laughs> there's this notion that if there's a disability there has to be a wheelchair or you need to be severely impaired in some way that or severely deformed in some way that's the that's the school of thought related to disability right but chronic illnesses and invisible disabilities have no place no so where are we supposed to find a place in 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 the idea of disability and until and unless somebody if, if it's not seen it's not there yeah that, that is how it works can you would you be comfortable describing a little bit of your your experience with disability uh so among the n number of things that i already have happening inside my body one thing that i constantly struggle with is um, a blood disorder which is superficial venous thrombophlebitis which basically means that my blood clots at a very irregular pace and i can have irregular bleeds 
it's it's not like hemophilia not as severe as hemophilia uh but that just means that anytime i uh, have uh, i have applied too much pressure to my joints or if i get injured or if i have a muscle stretch pull any violent activity would basically lead to a venous bleed um so there will be sudden sudden blood clotting in my veins so uh, that would mean that like having you know vigorous sex might even lead to a bleed oh yeah yeah it does oh yeah it does <laughs> yeah it does sometimes even um handling some of my clients at work so uh, since i work full time as a school based ot even initially for the one year i think even handling uh, the kids was very problematic and i actually got a bleed somewhere over near my thumb even writing my university paper gave me that wow so, i know <laughs> so what did like what how does that inform your life as an ot how, like does does that does that those does that condition does it did it make you think differently about being an ot and how you wanted to practice i think there's certain elements or certain times that initially it i was i wanted to fit in the box even even with even with saying that i have a mental health condition or i do have depression i do have anxiety i do get medicated with all of these things i suddenly do not want it to be saying all of those things because i always had this assumption that the healthcare professional um it's it's said that way right they they need to be healthy and that is how a healthcare professional will be serving somebody yeah when i actually started working i realized that everybody is flawed everybody is flawed and even the healthcare professional is flawed and they are even though they are they know just a little bit more than you do uh does not make them god and does not make them the most perfect or if they are still human i think for me it was that was the situation and the biggest understanding or learning that this is i am human so it's okay when i say that today is a day when i am highly anxious and i cannot come to work today is a day i've had a bleed i literally cannot walk or today is a day when even though i have set certain expectations from the treatment it's okay to ask for help and other another therapist to help me out so took me a while to get there but 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 yeah having that disclaimer i should have done that early on in my work but um yeah but now now that i give that disclaimer life is a lot more easier yeah i, I, I think being really open about disability disclaimers and being really open about what your needs are at that time are really important and i think for you as a healthcare professional with multiple disabilities i think that's every time i say disability now i keep picturing your parents listening to this thing like oh no no it's horrible don't say it but you know as somebody with like multiple disabilities i think you know talking about them and being open about them especially in a profession where you're not supposed to be sick you're supposed to take care of the sick ones is really really important. Yeah. And really really valuable. Um so as we've kind of talked about you work as an OT in Mumbai, India. I have so many questions about that and I would love to talk more about that and we're going to right now. So can you tell me how how is being an OT, an occupational therapist in India different than being one in Canada or in the US? And are there social or cultural differences that inform your practice that may not inform western ot's 
in a lot of ways. So I'll answer the first, uh, the first part of the question that you sure. asked. Are there, are there any differences? A, a lot of it, a lot of it. Right from the way that we are taught things and the way that we have exposure to the number of caseloads or the things that we experience early on, even with our education for that matter, uh, it's a four and a half year old, uh, four and a half year old, I'm saying four and a half years of bachelor's and um, again, three or two years of master's. And that's not a situation when it comes to uh, US especially. If you can start off with any bachelor's degree and then you can transition to occupational therapy yeah. and keep transitioning further, right? So that's not the situation in India especially, you you just cannot keep transitioning with the courses. So if you are an occupational therapist, you would be practicing in every aspect of occupational therapy. You are not going to get, so the, you are still keeping those boundaries of occupational therapy quite rigid over here. We aren't as flexible as we're supposed to be. But also with this rigidity in boundaries, um, there's a way of exploration and understanding that there are other aspects and domains of life that need to be explored and sort of assessed on a regular basis. So even though now that we've become this rigid with understanding that this is how occupational therapy is, we have sort of just assumed that it is going to be more beneficial for the pediatric population as an early intervention. So, and even, or just for people with disabilities. So there's this categorization that it's either for pediatrics or it's early intervention or people with disabilities. Whereas if you actually come to look about it, occupational therapy is for everyone. Yeah. It's actually for everyone who thinks that this is, I am struggling. And which is actually every person on planet Earth. Everyone is struggling. And, and I think that's the, the, that's the biggest difference that I see um, when I see the practice in India, in Canada and US that the rigidity which we have here in India is a little bit less when you come to see in more Western countries because they are much more open to expanding and sort of incorporating the ideologies of occupational therapy in other domains of life. Um, now coming to the second part, if the social and the cultural uh, concerns inform my practice in some way. Now, occupational therapy was a very westernized course. It has originated from uh, America and then spread across the world, right? And it started right. with mental health and it started with mental health. Not a lot of people know that, but, and sadly we have forgotten that aspect of uh, occupational therapy and we have sort of flourished in every other area. But what happens is um, what we learn about occupational therapy also becomes westernized because we constantly keep referring to books that have been published by American authors. So in a cultural context like India, everything that I studied, like I said, everything that I was studying and, and the way that we were working did not make sense. There was no coherence because it, it is easier to, to tell people in America to live an independent life. This is a westernized concept in India. We have closed units. The family is like a unit. And independence is, is sort of, it's not the same. Independence, is, independence does not mean the same way to everyone. Yeah. Um, I live with my parents, right? So even though I want some kind of an independence in certain areas, there is some kind of dependence that will always be there. 
and that codependence is something that always is always there until unless a family member actually moves out and even when you do move out there's there are still certain restrictions and things that you need to work on emotionally as a family member so that idea of independence was totally different when when we asked when we actually started working when i started working there and even the culture of understanding that on giving the power to clients saying that what is it that you need why have you come to me you know is it just because you want to feel better is it because you want to do better or what what is it and that these are the two things that i think um i i personally haven't um, liked in the way that i when i was studying about occupational therapy and now working as one i understand that the society and culture which we think that is is going to be which i consider to be a barrier early on when i was studying about it in more westernized concept yeah. now that i when now that i am sure and then i get to switch my switch my cultural mind in such different ways when i talk to people in america when i talk to people in canada us australia in different parts i realize that the question always boils down to and sort of giving the power to the client that how is it that you want me to help you and sometimes the most simplest of questions like this helps us understand or at least has helped me understand how much does how much of a cultural influence do they have what is it that they have come seeking for and how do i move forward from here is it some is independence some people do seek independence some people do are are trying to seek as much independence as possible some do not give a shit about it and and that's okay too we there's no need to that that's one thing that i've realized practicing as an ot is that we do not have to glamorize independence no 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 it's okay to ask for help i think and to need help but i do it is interesting the differences between independence in america and canada versus indian idea of independence cuz like the minute i can move out i moved out like i don't i don't yeah. think being you know in my 20s living with my parents i would have been happy but again that's a completely different so when you, when when an indian I've been in OT when an Indian doctor talks about independence what they mean is you're still going to live at home right you're still going to live with your family right like doesn't mean it doesn't necessarily mean moving out right away it just means being your own person sort of yeah absolutely that's such a it's such a different it's yeah. such a different view of like what <laughs> and, and I mean I guess that would translate to disabled clients too in the OT field because you'd have to like what do you do well obviously you when they come to you and say like i want independence obviously you help them get that but i can see how like that would be such a different conversation oh it's a brilliant conversation sometimes i think just challenging the idea that what do you understand of independence and is it is it a realistic goal that you really want to achieve or is it something that you think is idealistic that that should be achieved yeah so having that kind of a conversation in itself is is wonderful it's wonderful is there a conversation because i know in america and canada there are a lot of parents who when we're talking about disabled their disabled kids they get really protective and really like 
oh no, they can't be independent. Is that conversation in your experience, is that com- is that conversation like heightened in India of letting the disabled child try stuff and letting them be on their own? Or is it more like, you know, don't worry about it, take care of them, it'll be, it'll be fine? It's changing. I would say it's changing because I, I um, four years back when I used to see that, parents were really guarded. They, they just assumed that if the child, um, that their child with disabilities would not be able to survive in the community or would not wow. be able to have meaningful relationships. And a lot of those things, right? But now that I'm practicing, I actually helped set up one of um, the persons of, uh, persons with disability the other day on a dating site. And it was so much fun. We actually were practicing what pickup lines we should be using. And, wow. and how to say, yeah, how to space that technology time out so that it does not cause them fatigue. That is something Hello. that I would never in a million years have done with my OT. My OT would never in a million years have done that with me. That's an, that is so forward thinking and so progressive, even for now. Like, wow. It was wow. fun. I tell you, it's so much fun because when you, when you give them the power, I think I don't have most of my work there is done. All I need to do is get creative, right? That, yeah. that is, that, that's my only job left. Just get creative. You just tell me what you want to do. I tell you if it's realistic or not. And if it's not realistic, we can we can sit together and make sure if this is something that we want to save for later and make it a realistic goal or do what and how to go about it. I think the idea that it's it's too much hands-on is fine, but the conversations that you can have with an occupational therapist sometimes can be so enriching because we always we can make anything an occupation because everything is an occupation. Everything is. Yeah, definitely. And I think, you know, it's so, um, I just think it's really cool that you <laughs> are so open to it because, you know, there's so much, there's so many OTs in Canada and America who would be like, what? You went on a dating site with your client? That's like so, that's like, that crosses a boundary. And like the fact <laughs> that, you, and I think also it speaks to, you know, your, 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 um, your age too. I think the younger, the younger people who go into, into occupational therapy are wanting to explore this and are hungry for this kind of knowledge. Um, and so I really value that you are doing this and are putting, are helping clients see that this is possible for them. And I think that um, early on when I, I, I think it's, it's been a year that I've been on Instagram and I think yours was an account that I stumbled upon early on. And that sort of, so narratives do help. And that's the reason why I say that having these conversations, sometimes it's okay to wait and actually take some time, assess, evaluate, observe, and have a conversation with the client that this is where they are coming from. And this is where they want to go from, they, they want to go to. And I think that just, that just gives, uh, it, it's not just a motivational, motivational factor for at least for me, but also understanding that, oh, I need to think from this way as well. 
this is a perspective that I haven't thought from before. And the more experiences and the more narratives that I come across, I think that that really does shape and inform how, how I want to go from here. I, I just think, I think you, you know, I think you are the, the future of OT, the, 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 <laughs> the new generation that's willing to wade in these waters. Um, also wanted to explore with you, one of the things you said in your questionnaire really, really spoke to me. You said uh, that, you know, sometimes it can be really difficult for you not to, not to superimpose values on a disabled client. What did you mean by that? Can you kind of share like what you meant by that? Um, um, the most simplest of examples. Um, I was always told that uh, using the label of being disabled is something that is shameful or something that shouldn't be used uh, frequently or the disclosure around disability is, is not something that everybody needs to know. Right? It's only reserved for the people that are really, really know or have connections with. But that in turn sort of um, made me realize that when I actually started talking to my clients and they were like, yeah, this is how I am. This is, this is how we are. And they, they actually were okay with using the words disability and disabled. And I was labeling them disabled. I was telling them you have extra needs. And just because you have, and this, these were the statements that were coming out of me, and, I'm, and there, was, there was no other thought process. And I'm like, you are disabled. You have extra needs. I, I don't, I, it's, it's as simple as that. These are just words. Yeah. These are actually just words which are, if you're thirsty, you say I'm thirsty. If you're hungry, you say you're hungry. That's yeah. your words. They are trying to communicate. That's why they have been there. And that's when it struck a chord with me. I'm like, oh my God, what have I been doing all my life? What, what, what kind of messages have I, have I been telling them so it was in a way this was my professional experience was more cathartic for my personal uh, personal life and because it was it was teaching you to <laughs> let them tell you what they wanted how they wanted to identify and let them show you what they believe their identity was like like I like I like as a practitioner you were using the word disabled because we don't often hear that from practitioners period so the fact that you were using that I think is, is great but I can totally understand how you may have felt like maybe I shouldn't use this word maybe I should let them come to me with the language they were using um yeah actually this was uh, this conversation actually happened when we were trying to have an assessment over um them having a disability certificate so that they can avail, avail special services so this was the conversation that we were having and they were like, uh, does this certificate, does this certificate label me disabled? I'm like, nothing can label you disabled until and unless you want it to. Yeah. And, and even if it says that you're disabled, it's just saying that you have extra needs, which you do, which is a fact. And just because stating facts, if, if, if it makes it shameful, I don't know, these are just words. And I think that is, that is how the flow has went from there. Early on, the understanding of language or using or using titles this way was was not something that I had learned in an Indian context. Since English is not something that's a primary language, right? Right. So, so giving these labels or even understanding that there's something called as labels or you to, or, or understanding language while you know you address clients in this way was was a foreign thought. This is something that I've learned 
a year back when I actually started practicing and got the exposure to all the other cultures, brilliant cultures in the world. And that's when I have actually started asking people, how do you label yourself? How, how do you want me to address? Is the disability first, person first language? Uh, again, with gender, pronouns, um, and all of these things, I think. So it's it's been more comprehensive now, but I have no shame in accepting that. I, I did not have any idea or the concept of labels when like four years back or three years back. So what would, in an Indian context, what would a, how would a practitioner who, who didn't have the training you have and who didn't have the, the knowledge you have now how would they refer to like if you were just if you saw a disabled person in the world how what would you say that what language would you use to describe them uh so we usually do talk in hindi and we we usually say that they have special needs they have extra needs yeah translated yeah. translated in hindi and that's that's how it has always been and then obviously the whole label of these are special and uh, all the other words, special kids, extra needs, all, all the other superficial words rather than saying what that to be is. So by using disability in it, or disabled initially, you were trying to take away that stigma and just say, this is a fact. These are facts. Like, I almost, I, me personally like that better that you were just like, you have disabilities. This is a fact. And it sounds like in an Indian context, they were trying to like gently say you have different needs, but they weren't saying disability. Yes, exactly. And even the idea of breaking down, they are not disabled, they are differently abled. I'm like, how do you know that? You do not, you have not lived their life. Yeah. You know nothing about them. So you just cannot say that they're differently abled. Yes, they are abled. Yes, they are different. So are you, so am I, everyone is. So what is with the title? What's with the wordplay? Yeah. Until an person actually, under analysis, disabled person actually says that I'm differently abled. That's it. When they say that, I'm I'm okay to say these words. But any any healthy normal person comes up to me and just decides, or any healthcare professional decides that this is the label they want to be using for their client. Um, that is something that's totally unacceptable to me. And it's really, I think it's really interesting that you have learned that on the go and have learned that as you're, as you're practicing. And I think that's so important because I don't think we talk about it enough from the, from the professional's point of view of like, when did they, when did it shift for them and when did they change their views on how to label on how to, on whether they should label somebody at all. And I think it's really important that you've learned that as you go and it shows other medical professionals who work with disabled people or people who, identify however they want to with respect to their disability that we have to in the professional context respect their language and what they're saying as they're saying it so that they feel when they're in your office talking to you about really personal stuff that you respect them and what their needs are 100 100 <laughs> that's i mean I, I just think your experience of that i also love you know the cultural learning a different culture's understanding mm-hmm. of disability is really, really interesting to me because disability has been shown in such a white Western male mm. dominated, it's a, it's a white Western male dominated field, really. So to know that there 
are these conversations happening in other parts of the world? We don't hear about it enough. So first of all, I'm really excited to give it a platform. Um, so thank you. And I'm excited that you are, are so open about it. That I just think that's really great. <laughs> There's no other way to go about it, though. That's it. You <laughs> I love how I love how like this is it. This is whatever it is, and this is how it's gonna be. Like I like that. I like you. I think you'll be a very good. Well, you are a very good OT, but I think you you oh. <laughs> you will do even better because you disabled people. In my experience with OTs, when you dance around shit, it gets really annoying. But if you just say it straight out the person feels way more comfortable with you because at least we're having an honest conversation and I get the feeling from you that as an OT you're very direct which can be scary for some of us but also really important for a lot of us it's fun actually you know sometimes um the idea of relatability I think that and that's something that I when I when I said uh, that I I had pathetic healthcare professionals when I was sick so that, that is where it comes from. They were pathetic because they were robotic. And I know that it, it's very difficult for a healthcare professional when we are seeing 80 to 90 clients in a day. That that's, that used to be the workload when I was working. Wow, uh, it's got, 80 to 90 yeah, a day. Yes, it used to be in a government hospital and it, it was hectic. But uh, clients remember and they used to know that, oh, where is Sakshi? I, I want to go back to her that feeling or that understanding or knowing that you have struck a chord with them and you've made them understood, understand certain things about their own body, you have given them the tools and they like that. They like that. The idea that um, you need to be, you need to be, you, need, you know, you need to be commanded or a patient needs to be guided in some way and you constantly tell them, do this, do this, do this. And it's just a one-sided, one-sided communication. But on the other way around, when you sort of get it, get a little bit more relatable, when you joke around about the things, uh, about certain mistakes that they have done, as simple as somebody having a shoulder tear and them um, taking a heavy bag on their shoulder when you told them not to do so, and just having a laugh about it, and you know, just making a sassy comment about it, is sometimes they have a good laugh, you have a good laugh they know that they've made a mistake, but that's not your job to tell them that, oh, you're a horrible, pathetic person. Now the therapy won't work. That's, that's not my job. Yeah. I mean, that makes me a pathetic professional, right? And just the way of saying that, you know, this is how you've done it. We're just teasing them about it. And, and just having a more, more so conversation about that. Oh, so this can happen. These things are habitual. It can happen. You can go back to it. Here are some strategies to go about it. And you know, this is how you can deal with it because, that is how it is. And that is how you become relatable. Not everything in life can be perfect, especially when it comes to a rehabilitation process. Yeah, of course. So, and I totally agree with that. I would also love, I'd love to know just from a, like, forgive my complete ignorance here. And I'm going to be really, <laughs> really blunt, but I don't know anything. And I'm coming at this from a super ignorant cultural lens. But everything I've seen from like hospitals in India and like the medical system in India is completely different from what I see in America. And I've only seen it from blips of TV and blips of like things I've watched. So would you say that the medical system, like when you say we're seeing 80 to 90 people a day, that's not really common for OTs, I don't think, in, in North America. Like what kind of resources do you have in your office to like, do you have Hoyer lifts? Do you have like 
special things they need to transfer? Like what is available there? So when it's uh, so when I was talking about eighty to ninety clients, it's most more uh, more so about community rehab. But when it comes to inpatient or uh, whenever we have centered to persons with disability, we definitely do not have all the resources that should be there, and it sort of overlaps with. Uh, I would be killed if I made this statement, but I will say it anyway. But <laughs> but it sort of overlaps with the treatment of what physiotherapists already do. right so which in a way is counterproductive and does not help the client in any way and that is how it is and which is why i hate the system and i do not want to be that pathetic therapist <laughs> i i am i am okay sharing the case load with my physiotherapist and telling them that you know what you know the biomechanics better you deal with that and that's the reason why i can have such great conversations about being on a dating app or help my client get on a dating app because while the physiotherapist has already made sure that there is better dexterity movement i can take the rest of the time to transfer that learning right how to use the mobile app how much time are you going to hold it what adaptive devices are you going to be using it for and that's easy that's easy right yeah. what if i yeah. have to start the work from scratch so the whole idea of competitiveness sure and creating that boundary between what physiotherapy and what occupational therapy does is a constant i think that's happening all over the world but it's still quite it's still a lot a lot of it is still here and like i said it's it's a lot more westernized concept so making um making sense of it in a more south asian context becomes quite difficult for students and practitioners as well Um, to, to to separate the two modalities and to have like and to have them work together so that that physical therapy works on the physical part of it, but you you feel like your job as an OT is to work on not only the the, the activities of daily living but the emotional side of the with the client as they do things. Yes, yes, absolutely, absolutely, and I think that just takes off the burden of both the parties. Mm-hmm. Both of them are parties because if if the client spends some time at usually that is what happens when people uh, people with disabilities are referred for therapies they are referred to both physiotherapy and occupational therapy yeah 90% of the time that's the situation right now you would be sending a client for physiotherapy for about 45 minutes 30 minutes whatever the time is and then again for an occupational therapy session for again 45 minutes and it makes no sense if both of us are working on the same things right i would rather have i would rather have a 30 minute session uh, i would rather spend the time with the person for the 30 minutes and another 30 minutes with the physical therapist and we can both uh, talk about what what area are we trying to work on um general areas and what's something in particular that i also want to focus on yeah and combine the two saves us both energy and time and i don't yeah. have to spend one complete hour on one client yeah yeah no i think i think there there does need to be more there does need to be more what is the word the, the two modalities need to work together to let each one of them do what they do best and so i think yeah i think i think i love this approach that you want to be able to to you want to be able to 
to work with the PTs instead of just doing what they do. Yeah. And, and like I said, there are some things that we do differently, for sure. I'm not going to deny that it's completely their forte and OTs should not be touching it or doing anything about it. But again and again, when we keep saying that we are holistic, we are comprehensive, and when you keep throwing around these words, we need to be truly holistic and comprehensive yeah. in, in line. And, and sometimes being holistic and comprehensive means that refer to whoever necessary and if you know that there's somebody else on the healthcare team who can perform or do better than you, do it. That's holistic. That's actually comprehensive. And do it with the do it with the client in the room, like in the room, and like tell them what well, you know. To explain to them why this person is going to be going to help you with this thing. I think exactly. so. So often, what happens when we are when we as disabled people, especially in a North American context, are referred anywhere, like. It's like, oh, you're going to go see this guy and he might know what to do and best of luck, like, the best of luck to you, good luck, bye. But it's like, there's so much more to that and I wish that, like, you would explain to me why I'm going to see this person and what they're going to tell me and I wish also, like, that they would also say, I wish more doctors would say, oh, yeah, he's studied disability, like, he has X amount of disabled clients a year, he knows how to manage this. Like, I want to know their cultural competency when it comes to the disabled people they work with. Absolutely. And I think that's, that's, um, that's one thing before referring my client to any person, I make sure that I actually take their consent because they have already invested a lot of energy, a lot of time, a lot of money, uh, and a lot of trust on me. And I suddenly told them that, you know what, um, I think there's someone else who, who can do better. But then, and now that they feel this kind of an insecurity where is it because of me or is it something that they is it is it because i is does she feel incompetent uh, have i done something you know there's always a fear around it but having that idea that would you be okay with this idea would you be okay would you like to see somebody else this yeah. is how it could be different this is how it could be different and having that conversation like i said most of the times with my clients i am it would be 30 minutes of me handling them but another 30 minutes of me talking to them. That is how it is. <laughs> but I mean, that's such a value, but just sitting down and talking with an OT about this stuff and being able to voice some of our fears as disabled people and some of our concerns about our healthcare with an OT in, in our language, in our, with our, you know, cadence, however we want to do it. I think that that part goes missing. And I think the fact that you want to provide that to a client is really is something we don't see often in the OT space or in the, any medical space when you encounter disability. So thank you for that. Um, I wanted to ask you a little bit about, because you love to talk about sex and OT and all these things, and this podcast is a sex podcast primarily, um, for myself and for the listeners who may want to learn more about it, can you talk about the differences between sex in India and say sex in America and North America and how these differences have, if at all, informed the work you do? Uh, the differences, I, I think more that there's one thing that's common around the world. People just keep saying sex is a taboo or they have the same uh, polarized vision of sexuality. The biggest difference that I see is that India lacks a lot of resources and we aren't aware of our own culture. You know, even though we are in touch with our traditions, we understand a religion, 
we do not actually get our culture because a lot of it that we have adapted right now is colonized culture. So ideally, India talks about sex. We teach people sex. We have a textbook written on sex. We have sculptures saying that homosexuality is a thing. Have group sex is going to be amazing. Humility yeah. is awesome. And we have living proofs of it. So we can't even deny it at this point of time. And by saying that we are conservative, but once you try and go back and you try to understand that why is it, or at least at least for me, that was the first question that I had. That if we are okay with having naked goddesses, naked gods, saying that mating is okay, we can have Kama Sutra out there. So why is it? Yeah, I was gonna it? say I was like the Kama Sutras there. Like what? So what? But so what you're saying, and I just so I understand. You're saying if we got rid of the colonization of like the British, yes, like, a lot of a lot of it has been picked up from uh, a lot of it has been actually picked up from the Mughal culture. It has been picked up from the Christian and British colonization. Yeah, yeah. It is a sin and it is something that brings shame, uh, and that is how it is. Even uh, to be very honest, nothing in Kama Sutra says that. Sex work is bad. Homosexuality is bad. Nothing. They actually talk about pleasure and tantric sex. Yeah, yeah. So, I, so I, like, I, 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 I'm like, let the world speak. So I much of what we, so much of what we see in, again, I, and I'm speaking from a very, a very myopic lens of like, you know, some Indian characters on TV and things I've seen in like Indian-based movies about homosexuality. It's very, very shameful that you would do this and you can bring shame to the family and so like what i'm hearing is that like we haven't we don't really know what the indian what the indian beliefs on sex are because it's been colonized so like what this proves this proves that like colonization is the worst and if we got rid of all those ideas there, there might be a way more open way more sexually free version of india than we know we have the second largest population. It speaks for itself. Everyone's doing it. <laughs> Everyone's doing it. <laughs> Everyone's doing it. Hello. We have living proofs of it. So I say, even if you actually go ahead and check the data analysis, I don't think Americans would be using Tinder as much as Indians do. Wow. It's, it's wow. actually that way. Even, even when it comes to pornography sites or anything of that sort. Um, Indians are doing it. India is always there on the analytical map, at least for the top 10. Anything, <laughs> anything on technology, go check it out. We are always there on top 10. We make sure we are there. Amazing. And, <laughs> Amazing. And so that's what, yeah, and I think that's that's how it is. We even read and understand our own culture. Now, the biggest difference that I see here in, in, in the way of changing, the, the reason why we have a lot more resistance here in India is because um, of the resources that we have and definitely language. It's very difficult to understand things um, in rural areas where, where regional local languages have a, has, have a much more greater influence. So English is not something that we're trying to understand everything in, right? So vagina, I can say vagina and vulva, but I have no idea what it's called in Hindi. I have yeah. no idea. So that, that is something that does create some kind of a communication barrier and, and what better way is they talk about sex than talking about it if you do not know what the words are you yeah. cannot communicate so that's one of the difference that I've seen here but with America um, I hate it they have all the resources they have spent so much money they have excellent educators 
people with disabilities actually doing the work, people of color, BIPOC community, queer community doing the work, and they yet wouldn't listen about it. All they have to do is just pick up the textbook and read or just listen to a podcast like this. That's all they have to do. Yeah. That is all. And they still wouldn't, they still wouldn't do it. And they, they still be like, oh, it's a sin. It's a taboo. I'm like, how? <laughs> how? We have a statue of a god telling me that I can do this. Why isn't that okay? <laughs> I'm right. How? how? How are you trying to populate populate the country how are we going to make sense of all of these things and still say that it's a taboo when yeah. there are resources that say otherwise and i think that's one of the things that even though when i keep cribbing about this sort of system that we have in india i clearly accept that it's still a developing country and people are trying people are trying to make sense of things um i would say even for that matter my mother she was against homosexuality for the very for the for the, for the longest time uh, but now she knows that her daughter talks about sexuality for a living. And she says that to everybody proudly. She actually <laughs> shared my LGBT. She shared my LGBTQI video that I did with one of uh, one of my friends, understanding what LGBTQI is, what does it mean? She shared it with all her friends. And oh, like, that's, that's great. great. Everybody was like, wow, we did not know that, that the words meant this thing, the words were like that, and this is how it is, and this is how different it is. And like it's that easy we it's talked a minute easy. we talked a minute ago about shame and i'm just curious is it is it shameful to have somebody in the family with a disability in india is it is it a shameful thing is it talked about in a lens of shame or like pity it in shame yes and more than anything else it's because um since like i said it comes back boils down to this we are very close everybody is even uh, my mother's siblings, my dad's siblings, their kids, they, so even first related relatives, we are all very close. I think yeah. we all have conversations on like daily or weekly basis. That's how close we are. Wow, okay? good. I know, right? Wow. So when when you sort of start talking about these things, it's it's something that you share with your family. And that means it's not about two people having an opinion about you. It's about 10 and 15 people having an opinion about your condition. And there's always going to be that one rotten egg who's going to spoil it for everyone else. <laughs> and that, that is exactly what happens here. It's not that everybody is in rotten egg, but it's like sometimes the rotten egg is much more impactful than the good ones. Yeah. And yeah. That's how it turns out to be. So this, this, this is how the whole process of shame comes into it. Yeah. And which is the reason why I think even my parents or they do not like me using the word disability because if I start using it more often, then then I would be viewed from um, a, a very pity or shameful eyes, which they I yeah, and it would want. bring it would bring shame to them. Yeah, that is not something because it's like weighing down the achievements. So oh, she did this, she did this. Oh, but she's disabled. Suddenly, all my achievements go down. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I want to move into so so. Can you share? kind of what your coming out story is about coming out as as bisexual and identifying as a queer disabled person. What has that journey been like for you? I had no coming out. I, I'll tell you how it was. Uh, I, I I had a conversation with my brother. My br- brother is my closest friend. Uh, he is the Aww. best friend that I have. Yeah, he's amazing. Amazing. 
uh, and, and I, I, I spoke to him about this and he's like, uh, okay, so you, are you like, is there anything else you would want me to help you with? Uh, is there something I could support you with? Is there something else? Do I need to know anything else? Um, and he was, he was really, really supportive. And then um, I said it to my mom. And then she said, um, in, in Hindi, <laughs> if somebody understands it, so that basically means is that um, it, does, it does not exist. This is, this is nothing. What is bisexuality? It's nothing. <laughs> that is what she said. Oh, no. <laughs> so I was like, no, it is a real thing. I, could, I, I, I do feel attracted to this and this. I'm, like, I'm explaining and explaining. She's like, just go away. You are making things up. You can't set you can't settle on something. You can't settle on something. Do whatever you want. Um, or the other option, the next time that we had the conversation was go to your room. <laughs> That's a constant. We always have that. Our parents always keep sending us to our room. Go to your room. Don't talk to me like that. Go to your room. <laughs> so so yeah, I think I stopped I stopped giving shits about it eventually. I was like, you know, it's um Coming out wasn't as much as coming out. And this is something that uh, my friend on Instagram had beautifully, beautifully put. Uh, Their name is Devlin, uh, Dev, and they are also an occupational therapist. And they wrote a post about it uh, saying, coming out is not about coming out as much as it's about letting people in. Yeah. Um, And eventually it has been like that way. I, I go ahead and say that I'm queer unicorn queer unicorn OT, queer unicorn OT. And I stopped calling myself bisexual again and again. They were like, what do you mean by queer? I'm like, queer means queer. I just take my yeah, rainbow just, everywhere. So, and I just <laughs> go crazy. So let's talk. And you mentioned in your questionnaire and you mentioned to me before we hit record that you love being called a unicorn. And I would love to understand from you like what that means for you and what is it what is like so what does it mean being a unicorn for you and when how how would you describe that? Uh, it means um, being unique, non-existent, <laughs> non-existent in, in, in a way that um, I just, it, it's very vibrant. So for me, a unicorn has always been very vibrant, very pure. That's, that's my idea. And pure means um, very authentic in, in whatever way that it represents. And, it, and that is who I am. I, I am all shades of whatever colors that are present in the world. And I'm sparkly. I am going to be authentic uh, as long as nobody is being a dick to me. Sorry for the word. <laughs> you know <laughs> what show you're on, right? You can say the word dick. It's okay. You're good. <laughs> oh, uh, I, I'm an occupational therapist. What are you making me do? I'm professional, professional. <laughs> <laughs> but, but yeah, as long as nobody is mean to me, that, that, that's it. That's my personality. I'm vibrant. I'm glittery. I'm sparkly. I'm beautiful, glorious, authentic. Oh, what was the other things? You know, that's I have happening. a you know I have a tattoo of a unicorn on my chest. I do know that. <laughs> I do know that. So I feel you know, and, and I often feel like a unicorn in the sense that like I also don't exist in many spaces, and I also don't I also you know feel vibrant and feel very alive, but I don't get seen. I'm seen as a mythical creature in the work I you know what I do because I'm disabled and I'm queer, and so like. I kind of like, the minute I saw a unicorn on your form, I was like, oh, we're going to get along fantastically because we're basically the same person. <laughs> yes, yes. And, and I don't know, is it, is it a thing? Because you could relate to non-existent and I feel that. 
and I said that, and I was like, no, don't take it back. And my, my husband was like, don't say non-existent. That's that's not how you say it. I was like, that is how I feel about it. Yeah. And it is how it is somehow. I don't know. I think it's it's it is that way. <laughs> I I agree with you. I think it is a really hard. I love being a unicorn, but I also bemoan it because it's a mythical creature. Therefore, people don't believe that it's real. There, people don't believe your experiences are true, and so they think you're just this thing you made up. And it, like when your mom was telling you, "Oh, you're not bisexual. You're making that up." You're like, "No, it's real." And so I often feel that way about disability: is that I people think I'm making it up. People think I'm just, you know, not really sharing the real experience. It's like, no, I am. I really am. And so I got the unicorn in a wheelchair on my chest because, first of all, it was a joke. My friend made the joke and I was like, I want that tattoo. And then I was like, but actually, though, that tattoo means a lot to me because it shows that I am a real person and it proves to people that I like, I know what you think of me already. So here's so look at this. And also, it's really hot when I'm making out with a dude and they see that and they go, what's this tattoo? And I go, well, yeah, it, it means this. And so when they when they fuck me they have to see this tattoo of a unicorn and reconcile the fact that like this is who I'm with right now I cannot imagine what a great conversation starter or ender that would be it's gonna be amazing I was I'm I'm, I was planning to get one too it's been delayed because of my blood disorder but yeah I need to get like 10 clearances make sure everything's clear before I get anything done but that's the first one when it's going to be, and I'm going to send it to you when I get yeah, it Yeah, <laughs> please show me. I would love to see it. I would love to see it so much. I also wanted to ask you quickly, I didn't write this down, but when we were talking, I was thinking about resources. Um, in your work as an OT, like what kind of disability equipment do you see there? Like, because again, in my very limited scope of what I've seen from disabled people in India, like we've seen really old wheelchairs, really crappy, like, medical stuff what have you seen in your practice do they have the newest stuff do they have like current mobility devices what do you what do you see there it's it's very rare like i said coming back to the resources nothing's affordable and when it actually comes down to insurance insurance really does not cover a lot of it given occupational therapy services there are only a few uh, insurance companies that would actually um, help you cover the costs of uh, adapter devices, equipments, or any anything for that matter. And that is how horrible it is. And I would I would give it straight because I there's no other way to sugarcoat it and say yeah. that my confusion good, but that's 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 not how it is. People do suffer. People uh, there are there are actually days when I cannot help them, and I'm like you know this this is the organization that could help you with. Um, some some of the other ways that we have tried to work around with these things is uh, try to create more funds for them, try to connect them with more organizations and associations who can uh, get them these materials for cheap or free, or they could help them cover the bridge to cost between these things, or even with crowdfunding for that matter. Some of them who can actually afford it um, are living a beautiful, brilliant life. There's, there's no doubt about it, but others, um, given the roads, given the situation, uh, even the, it's actually the, the 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 wear and tear of the equipment also matters. And given our roads, if you've seen them by any chance, with the entertainment or the media that they've presented in, is is horrible. And so the yeah, I mean they look they look they, they look like sand dunes and like really they look really dilapidated. Like it doesn't look super great. 
it does and it isn't and it is not it is not i still see the frequency of falls there is that there's there's a reason why i have different types of gait training for at least for my home healthcare clients differently at home differently in their compounds and then actually going out and moving out and going to the road because it's not about just gait but also the transfer of learning in a community so because that is how different it is and that is that's the way it, a stepwise manner it actually goes for in an indian culture that is that is how difficult it becomes so yeah have, we still haven't reached the stage with equipments and resources everyone's trying in a monetary way but even if we do get the bestest of best we have seen them getting ruined because of the environment that we live in so because of like the heat and like the yes and and just the internal situation the crowd the the kind of way the transport that you use the crowds that you deal with uh, even some somebody with a bionic arm i think they they managed to spend um 4 to 5 lakhs inr uh and then um age and the and it just was okay for about 8 or 9 months because accidentally while climbing on a train uh there was some grip that had stuck to it because oh, of which no. the the puller the trigger had got yeah, stuck yeah. and they almost almost uh got injured uh while climbing on a train so that was the because their arm fell off yeah shit so yeah so that's <laughs> people found it hilarious but i think uh, no it's super dangerous for the person it's horrible It is that they were like we got the bestest of the best, and still it turns out to be this way. Might as well have not invested in this. Yeah, because the so in your experience as an OT and in your experience kind of living there, what? How can we make it better so that these resources don't get destroyed? Is there a way? Is it possible? We need to be working really hard. OTs need to be working really, really hard because the competition is not with any other rehabilitation professional. Yeah. But the yeah. competition competition is actually with the kind of diseases that we see day to day. You know, we are getting better. Science is getting better, but so are diseases. Look at it. We are living in a pandemic. They've yeah. got the yeah. best of us. So. there's no way that we need to be fighting over trivial things that oh how could a physiotherapist do this and why haven't they included me but understanding that there's a lot more political things that goes into it i think everybody wants to refrain and take a safe side saying that oh what can we do about it but having that political approach saying that this is where the change needs to happen i still see nobody replying to my mails i still keep reaching out to uh family planning association of india uh telling them that you know i could volunteer for your team there needs to be an occupational therapist because i do not see an occupational therapist there and it's most of the places are taken up by social workers or obgyns and i'm like they they both will not make sense until and unless you put an occupational therapist on the team yeah telling yeah. you that this is the service that could make their lives better help them live their lives better they do not have an idea of time management orientation adaptation all of these things is something that an obgyn or a social worker is not going to cover even if no. they try their yeah. best even if they try their best so i still get left on red and i do understand that my <laughs> yeah yeah i the only time i get rejected uh, <laughs> <laughs> is by your, is by the clients you're trying to help that's 
that's cool that's cool um that's yeah i think yeah that that having that but also changing the ways that i do compensate for it by coming on socials trying to write some blogs trying to collaborate in this way that i can so that the more people hear about it the more people know that this is something that's that's lacking because the more the more people start talking about it that is what brings a change one occupational therapist in india saying that oh this this needs to be addressed in a very different way sexuality is not just about reproductive health or uh, penis and vagina or something that's related yeah. to penetration but it's something that everybody experiences difficulty with so i think that perspective one indian occupational therapist cannot change the world but we can at least start the movement so i think we can try and we like we can, we can start help. the movement yeah yeah yes, the know. unicorn movement yes yes totally 100 yes. yes i want to yeah. name it that <laughs> you can take that name and run with it for sure um so my last question for you dr t is uh i'm and i meant to call you that through the whole interview but i forgot so <laughs> the my last question for you is if you had a new ot client coming to you and they were hesitant to talk to you about sex and they wanted to bring up sex but they were scared how would you put them how would you make them comfortable and what would you say to clients who maybe are listening in around the world who want to talk to their to their ot's about sex and disability but don't know where to start um i think i'll do it for both i'll do it for ot's also and i'm going to do because i know a lot of ot's are impressed by the work that you do and they follow you because they have been trying to push me to talk to you and get on your podcast so, <laughs> so it's happening right now it's amazing <laughs> so um for clients especially uh number one thing just make sure that the healthcare professional in the most casual and the most sassy of terms that I, if i want to put it uh please do not take it in any other way i do respect all the healthcare professionals what i want to say is treat your healthcare professional like your bitch right it's as simple as that <laughs> it is as simple as that see you aren't doing them a favor uh, you you don't owe them anything they don't owe you anything just go ahead it's your job it's literally their job to help you and if if and that's the one of the best way to screen that if this healthcare professional is right for you because if you feel hesitant talking about your own body and the things that your body does and if you find that your healthcare professional hasn't addressed it already there's something seriously wrong with your healthcare provider and you need to ditch them it's ditch as simple as that ditch your bitch um <laughs> yes ditch your bitch do it i support this 100% um this was such a fun conversation i'm so happy we finally sat down together oh my goodness so many i have so many i could sit with you for another like 5 hours and talk wow um it was so fun oh um, oh wait just a second i was i forgot to say ot's you you've got to do better come on you've got to do better at least start start with the simplest of conversations i know we don't have all the tools we may not know everything about sexuality start with the basics ask people's pronouns ask they how, how what their labels are um ask uh, how are they sexually active what sexuality practices do they indulge in or has any of their medications uh, or their condition or their diagnosis or even just emotionally impacted their sexual life or intimate connections or relationships in any way 
do not limit it to sexuality. There's yeah. a lot more happening. A lot take, more happening. Take out the sex part and just say, as an OT, just say, how are you feeling today emotionally about your disability? I would love it if an OT would come to me and say, how are you feeling today emotionally about your disability? Because I, you know, you see my social media, you know how I feel about my disability. It goes <laughs> up and down every day. Every so, day. Right. I think that's a key question for OTs to be asking. But Dr. T, this was such an amazing, such a fun conversation. It really opened my eyes to how culturally everywhere OTs need to change, but also how little we're hearing from occupational therapists in other parts of the world. So if anybody's listening who does OT stuff in other parts of the world that are not westernized, particularly, I definitely want to hear from you because I'm coming at this from a very privileged white and cis male Western idea of what OTs are supposed to do. And this conversation with Dr. T has shown me how, how, how limited my views are and I need to learn more. So please come on the show and I'd love to chat with you. But Dr. T, before you disappear, how can people get a hold of you? How can they follow your work? Um, I'm always there on Instagram until unless Instagram does not decide to block or censor <laughs> my work because I wouldn't be using those hashtags to talk about sex and sexuality. I'm going to type the whole word. So it's, it's, I go by the handle sex, love and OT. And you can also find uh, me on my website, which is again, sex, love and OT. It's sex is sex. Uh, love is love. There is and and ont.com. Um, that's the best places that you can find me. Or you can just type Dr. Sakshi Tiku anywhere or Dr. Tiku anywhere, I might pop up. <laughs> I'll, I'll make sure that all this is in the show notes because I think this is such a valuable conversation and we only just got it started. This was so great <laughs> and I loved sitting down with you. Do you have any last things you want to say to the people? I love you, Andrew. <laughs> oh, thank you. Well, that's super nice. I, I love you too. That's great. Thank you. And thank you so much for being a supporter of what I do and for, and I definitely want to have you back. I'm sure we have other, I'm sure we have other OT conversations to have. I'm sure we do. So this is not the first time. This is not the last time we'll be hearing from Dr. T. There's going to be plenty. There's going to be plenty. There's so much more. And we're going to start the movement first. So yeah, a lot yeah. of movements. Bring me along <laughs> the way. I'd love, we, I would love to be in touch with you again. Thank you. Thank you for this opportunity and, of more than you more than you and me i think there are going to be other occupational therapists who are going to be really happy who are rooting for this <laughs> i hope so and the ones who, all the ones who recommended you're going to be like yeah finally so um and hey those ot's if you want to come on and talk to me these conversations need to be happening more so i'm really glad we got to do this thanks everybody thank you bye all right, friends. Well, that's another episode of Disability After Dark, the podcast shining a bright light on disability stories. I am, of course, your host, Daddy Andrew Gerza. Hello. Thank you so much for being here, and thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you want to follow my work, you can head over to my website, www.andrewgerza.com, or you can follow me on social media at andrewgerza underscore on all socials. So that's at Andrew Gerza on Twitter, sorry, at Andrew Gerza underscore on Twitter and at Andrew Gerza underscore on Instagram. And follow me there and you can see a lot more stuff on disability that I'm doing. If you want to follow the podcast, you can go to Disaft Dark Pod on Twitter. 
If you want to support the show, of course, go to our Patreon, patreon.com slash disabilityafterdark. And, of course, leave a review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts so more people can hear about it. If you want to be a part of the show, you can email us at disabilityafterdark at gmail.com. We would love to have you. Thanks for listening. We'll be back soon. This has been a production of the Wheels on the Ground Network. Bye! Copyright Notice Disability After Dark was presented, created, and produced by Drew Gerza and Wheels on the Ground Productions. Any and all materials, including graphics, audio recordings, and music, are property of the owner and cannot be used or distributed without express permission. Copyright 2020-2021